Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Well, hey, everyone. Happy Thursday. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of What Do You Know About That? How's it going, Mary Angela? Uh, really good, Eric. How are you? I'm enjoying life here. You know, summer's coming to a close here, but I'm glad that we've been able to squeeze in as much outdoor time and enjoy the sun uh, that it's we've true. had. I can't believe it's September already. But, yeah. I mean, temperatures are still kind of warm. So, I mean, it's September, but it's not like... Ooh, here comes fall. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Well, I have taken the AC unit out of the third floor window, so mm. whether we like it or not, fall that's where coming. we're headed. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. Well, hopefully everybody had a nice Labor Day weekend last weekend. It was nice. So, yeah, this is officially the fall season. Get out there. Enjoy some outside before it gets so cold you can't go outside. And for those who have kids, I'm sure... Some folks, hopefully you get some relief, right? They go back to school. True, yeah. So, yay. Sad for the kids, but yay for the parents. Yay. <laughs> What's going on this day in science? Well, since you've asked, this day in science, September 8th, in 2014, researchers discover single-celled organism that can manipulate its own DNA. Whoa. Researchers from Princeton University, just a hop, skip, and a jump away from here, uncovered a novel ability of the pond-dwelling organism known as, and I'm totally going to destroy this, Oxytricia trifalix, shattering its own genetic code and then quickly reassembling it. According to the study, this organism stores its DNA in a relative jumble, only reorganizing the genetic strands into a coherent genome immediately before it begins reproduction. Geneticists are optimistic that further study of Oxytricia trifalix will grant valuable insight into chromosome construction in other animals. That's kind of interesting. I mean, it is, but I'm also like, how in the world did they know to study that? Like, how did were they like, let's look at this organism and see well, how, how do you it think most science comes about it's like people are just kind of walking along oh 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 hey check that out <laughs> oh look a quarter i mean that's that's really half of it because you think about all the other scientific discoveries they're usually were in pursuit of solving one problem and then they go oh look, hey, like viagra yeah. Right? That was intended for a heart medication. And then, oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> it does this other thing. It does this other thing. It's money. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I guess. I mean, that is very interesting. And to think of an organism that intentionally, like, smashes its DNA up. Yeah, um, that's... I, so that's... I'm guessing its DNA must have some kind of, like, markers at the ends of the strands that sort of know to zip themselves back up together into mm. one coherent genome uh, before it reproduces, because that sounds like, I don't know, I mean, maybe from an evolutionary standpoint, quite advantageous, but when it reassembles, you just, I don't know, it's maybe it's like a box of chocolates. You never <laughs> know what you're going to get. Sure. 
Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. Sure. This day in science, September eighth. So, uh, uh, anything happening in your neck of the woods in the neighborhood? You know, I haven't. I've been so busy spending time outside over the last like two weeks that I have not spent a lot of time on my usual boards. So I, I don't, I don't have a lot going on. Well, you know, I took it upon myself to sort of venture out of my cave a little bit and to do a little researching of my own. And I know I'm totally behind the times here. We're like what episode twenty three. And I just discovered GermantownInfoHub.org. Mm-hmm. So there's some really cool, neat stuff on there. Um, one of the articles that I came across recently were about RCOs. Do you know what RCO stands for? No. Well, it's come up as a frequent topic, and that is registered community organizations. Oh. So registered community organizations, RCOs, are essentially part of the whole process of any time contractors coming in, they want to build a structure, right? There's zoning laws that are established around that. The idea is to protect the safety and well-being of community members. So part of the review process for any proposed planning contracts, it goes through the RCO. So there's numerous um, registered community organizations just within the area and oftentimes when you have multiples, you'll have like sort of one figurehead representative. That's actually who Cindy Bass is, mm-hmm. right? So they're the ones that review and kind of weigh in and propose alterations to, um, say, a, a plan for construction before it actually gets voted on by the city. So mm-hmm. I, I was like, hey, wow, I'm learning things <laughs> and the stuff's free. It's in our neighborhood. I did want to mention just a shout out. One thing that came just through this weekend, and I believe Labor Day was the last day that it actually happened. There is a pop up exhibit for Banksy. Yeah. It's, a, it's an unauthorized. Yep. It's called Banksy Land. Did you see that? Yeah, no, I knew, I knew that was here. And you're right, it's, it's ending Labor Day weekend. It ended. So um, if you missed it, you missed it. Um, but yeah, how neat was that? A lot of the elements were either taken directly or recreations of a lot of his work because Mm -hmm. for those who don't know Banksy is a I think I believe I believe Banksy is a director but also graffiti artist most popularly known as a graffiti artist from the UK no one knows who Banksy is right right? that's that's the mystique right but Banksy came out in the 90s and a lot of his the graffiti from Banksy a lot of social political themes Mm -hmm. to it but yeah, it was a pop-up. I swore I thought I had something else, but I, I've totally lost track of well, it. Well, I can give a shout-out for 92.9 Day. It is the annual G-Town Radio Celebration of Community Radio in Germantown, and it is happening on the 24th of September. It's from 12 to 6 on the Maplewood Mall. It's going to be great um, live music, and vendors will be there, and of course... Um, the businesses that are on the Maplewood Mall will be open, and if you want to take a peek in the G-Town Studios, you can do that. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a really fun fun day, and this is the third time that this 92.9 day has been hosted. Um, they took two years off, obviously, for the pandemic, but we're back, back, right. back again. So if you've ever been interested in community radio and what we do here, you should definitely come out on the last Saturday of the month, the 24th. Most definitely. So, Mary Angela, 
I believe it is your turn this week for our featured topic. It is. What are we talking about today? Well, I told you last episode what I wanted to talk about. Do you remember? Were you listening, listeners? Were you listening? Well, we're <laughs> you're talking about Niagara Falls, I our am. trip to Niagara Falls. I am talking about Niagara Falls. Not just our trip. I mean, I'm I I want I want to talk about Niagara Falls because yeah. there's a lot there's a lot I did know about it, but there's a lot I learned about it. Um, there's a lot of things that I just discovered doing research for this episode. So Niagara Falls, one of the wonders of the world. What do you know about Niagara Falls, Eric? Well, you've got two lakes that are kind of joined together, right? And one spilling into the other. The point at which Niagara Falls occurs is where Lake I forget which lake it is. It's one of the Finger Lakes. It's spilling into Lake Ontario. No. I'm totally wrong. You are. I don't know my geography. <laughs> you don't. All, all, I can tell you this. There's a lots of great places to go drink wine. <laughs> sure. So um, you were right about lakes spilling into each other, but they are two great lakes. It's Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. And the two of them spill into each other. Lake Erie empties out into Lake Ontario through the Niagara River which runs from one lake to the other. Okay. And um, in about halfway, about halfway between the two lakes, they spill over some epic falls, and that makes up... They're pretty epic. They are. What's really interesting about it is that the falls are actually two sets of falls. It's not just one. The river actually forks, and there's like an island in the middle, which then splits the two, and that is what then creates two separate sets of falls Mm -hmm. as well as there is a country divide a country border our border the united states borders canada right there so one side is canada and the other side is the united states and it is very close to buffalo so buffalo is like one of the last big american cities Mm -hmm. before niagara falls and then on the other side of niagara falls about as far away as buffalo is on the american side is Mm -hmm. toronto so you've got two major cities and then a real touristy metropolis wonder of the world stuck in the middle. And it is that link between two lakes. So you were close. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there. Right. I was so there. <laughs> you were. Um, so what's really interesting to me about Niagara Falls, aside from the fact that it's more than one falls, do you know which is the which is the larger of the two falls? Oh, gosh. Remember? There's the American Falls and there's the Horseshoe Falls. That's the two. Uh, well, the Horseshoe Falls look bigger to yes. me visually. I'm looking at them. The Horseshoe Falls are bigger. They're bigger in a couple ways. So they're bigger, I mean, just expansively, you know, like how much water is falling over a shelf of land. The Horseshoe Falls are How much water bigger. is flowing over a well, shelf of land? Well, I am glad you asked. The peak flow over Horseshoe Falls was recorded at about 6,400 meters, which would be 230 cubic feet per second of water over the Horseshoe Falls. Per second, yeah, Yeah, that's that's pretty fast. That's a lot. (laughs) And the flow is the direct function of Lake Erie water elevation. So because Lake Erie is up above, right, Mm -hmm. and it's coming down to lower, like towards sea level, which is why it can flow so fast, and then you have this drop-off. And the drop-off, depending on kind of where you're measuring from with the Horseshoe Falls, can get as high as, I think it said, if I'm not mistaken, oh, uh, yeah, 187 feet. 
57 meters, 187 feet from from the top, the top of the falls to the bottom. To the bottom for the water heads. Yeah. So water's dropping down 187 feet. That's a lot. That's so no joke. Can you educate me here for a second? Mm-hmm. With you said it's Lake Erie spilling into Lake Ontario. Correct. But the lake, it's an isolated body of water, right? It is, but it's there's a river. It's the Niagara River that connects the two. Okay. So the Niagara River comes out of Lake Erie, and because Lake Erie is at a higher elevation, the water is flowing down the river, or so really up the river. But what anyway. replenishes the water in Lake Erie? What replenishes water or, in all the lakes? Some of it's the water table, some of it's clouds and rain and... Well, I was just curious, considering how much water is running through Mm -hmm. the Niagara River and spilling over at 200 plus square feet per second. And it's also at a higher elevation. So there's a lot of snowfall up there. There's water that's draining into Into Lake Erie. Erie. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So it's almost like a basin. Yeah. And now we have an Erie Canal. Doesn't that go into Lake Erie as well? That comes from like um, the Hudson River. That comes from the east. You know more about geography. Yeah, than I was like, I think we created a canal <laughs> for shipping that goes. It's called the Erie Canal, and we it cuts through. It comes starts in New York, and it cuts through, and ends up in Lake Erie, and okay. um, and so that's so that makes water coming from you know wherever that I think it started at the Hudson River, but I could be wrong. We did spend time in Canada, so I will talk a lot about the Canadian Falls, the Horseshoe Falls, in a minute. But I wanted to also talk about the American Falls, because the American Falls are stunning from the Canada side. Like, truly, honestly, if I had to look at the two, the more interesting falls to me are the American Falls. I really like them. There was more to see. You could see rocks. They have... um. There's a a little divide between the actual American Falls and what they call Bridal Falls, which is like a separate little section, but it's all part of that width of what we call the American Falls. Mm -hmm. What is sad to me, at least, I mean, I feel like for the people who don't come over to Canada to look at it, is that if you're an American and you want to stay on the American side and see the American Falls, you've got to walk out a really high tower over a a bridge that goes (laughs) way out into the middle of the river just to like lean over the edge and look back at the American Falls because you don't see them, you can't see them from your side without literally walking out into the river. Into the falls. I mean, well, not into the falls, but into it, you're walking out into the river. You're walking out into the heart of the river. Mm-hmm. So aside from having to like walk out onto a, a ledge, basically, and risk your life to look over and see this stunning view, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also a, a bummer because... I think what's the coolest about it is something that kind of can only be seen from the Canadian side. And that is what I'm talking about. That's those rocks at the bottom and how the water turns up and does all that. Like you can look down on it, but having a look down view as having a look across view to me just seems like completely different. So I am glad we got to look at it from the um, Canadian side, which was really lovely. But the American Falls has 2,800 meters or 99,000 cubic feet per meter per second of water falling over the American Falls. So considerably less water cascades over the American Falls. And some of that has to do with the fact that it's not as tall. So it's not as big of a drop off. Mm -hmm. But what do you remember noticing about the American Falls when you were looking at them? Well, one of the things that you pointed out was at the base of the falls, there was a lot of 
large rock that had intentionally been deposited there in order to buffer the water that's streaming down the falls because the falls were eroding as a result. So it just from the motion of the water coming down and hitting the, the drop-off, so there's more rock there at the base of the falls. Yes, because they had to actually stop the falls, the American falls, and put bring those rocks in. They had to, to basically drop them in. Bring them rocks. They did. How'd they bring the rocks in is my question. Um, I don't know if it tells us, but I'm assuming it probably had to do with boats and or helicopters. Because those or... were like really huge. I mean, these were boulders. Mm -hmm. They were massive. But they had to put them there because it was eroding so quickly. And it was eroding quickly at the base, which was basically going to then push that ledge back further and further and further and further. And... If that happened, there's a bridge a little further down the river going mm -hmm. toward Buffalo that was going to be in serious danger, <laughs> like of basically being washed out. And then you wouldn't be able to get across where you needed to um, from what they call Goat Island onto the, the main. Goat Island. Yes, Goat Island. Um, right now, though, even with the rocks, the current rate of erosion is approximately 30 centimeters, one foot per year. So... You know, that's down from the historical average from before they put the rocks there. It was basically losing about three feet per year. So they have wow, slowed it down. Wow, that's pretty significant. Yeah, they've slowed it down. So I, I'm assuming then periodically they just come in and just dump in more um, hard rock boulders and such to help buffer that. Yeah. They're trying to preserve it. Yes, because basically at this rate, even at a foot a year... In about 50,000 years, Niagara Falls will have eroded the remaining 32 miles, 20, 20 miles, 32 kilometers, 20 miles to Lake Erie, and the falls will cease to exist. Wow. You said by when? 50,000 years. Oh, 50,000 <laughs> None of years. us will be alive. <laughs> oh, okay. We won't be around to see it, but, well, but one day- if we keep day, moving dirt back there- <laughs> 50,000 years from now, um, Niagara Falls is probably not going to be a thing anymore. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. So I want to talk about when they turned off the falls because it's kind of a big deal. Um, first of all, I mean, it was done in a time when you kind of didn't think about taking something like that on, like such such a, a big project. Like we're going to we're going to shut it down and we're going to bring in rocks and we're going to do all this stuff. Um, because well, to be clear, there's there's an actual dam that sits upstream from the falls, right? Is it a dam or it's just a power station where they, they use the, yeah, the water? Yeah, it's, it's a power station. It's not a dam. It's okay. not controlling any water. It's a it's a Tesla station, so it's like creating electricity. And I don't even know if it does that anymore. Um, I think it used to, but I think now you just take tours of it. Yeah, it's kind of run down, isn't it? Yeah, now, now it's just like, this is how we got our power, but now they know that they can build it a little further up. Like and they we don't can need burn it. gasoline. Well, Who needs water power? I'm just they, kidding. They just don't need that one there. Right. That's basically how it is. So um, they did block off the river uh, and diverted it through to the Horseshoe Falls. And that left basically dries over the American Falls. And this was in 1969. And if you remember, we had a lot of stuff going on in this country in 1969. Stuff where like is damming off a river to, you know, or redirecting a river to put rocks on it and, and keep erosion. 
something where there's like (laughs) civil rights movement and social unrest happening in the rest of the country and the vietnam war and all kinds of things like that but you know yes surprisingly we took time to preserve this this wonder on our side which i think is great like i'm pointing that out to be like there was a lot going on and still the united states was like this is a priority Mm -hmm. um which i think is amazing when they did dry up those falls what do you think they found under there Mer people <laughs> uh cave gnomes <laughs> i don't know neither of those but they did find two dead bodies what yep okay so what's the story i mean they don't know they, they don't know no they just during this time two bodies were removed from under the falls including a man who had been seen jumping over the falls and the body of a woman which was discovered once the falls dried Oh, so it was just a, a some random guy who just leaped over the falls. What was he just taking his own life? Or I mean, I'm sure. I mean, usually most people don't leap into Niagara Falls just because it's like the thrill of a lifetime. But they were people. Well, at least him. Someone saw him go over, but nobody ever found him. We didn't find him because he was stuck under the falls. Right. Yeah. They're like, hey, that guy. Remember that guy who jumped? We found him. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah. It's it's a little was, bit. Was there a pot of gold near him? Definitely not. Pirate ship? Aw. So, what do you think, uh, where do you think they get their name? Oh, the Niagara Falls, the the horseshoe. Well, horseshoe's obvious. It's shaped like a U. No, but the actual name Niagara. Niagara Niagara. I don't know. Is, Is Niagara some, like, does it have, like, historical roots, like in... I don't know, Eskimo or something? I don't know. You're, you're very close. The Native American word on, uh, Angaria, so instead of Niagara, Angaria, or on, uh, on Angaria? I don't know how you pronounce you it. You want to spell it? Yep, O-N-G-I-A-R-A. It means thundering water. Yeah, well, it, that's that's a, quite an accurate statement. It is definitely thundering water (laughs) it was not quiet well what really blew me away was when we were crossing over the canadian border and we're driving on what was the it was peace bridge yes we went over the peace bridge you can see it looks like a plume of smoke but that's just the mist from the water hitting the rock so hard and then just getting blown up into the air as vapor and when you're walking alongside the falls, even at a distance from where the drop-off is, it's like you're walking past your neighbor with their sprinkler system on. <laughs> you're just getting hit with water. And when the wind changes, it moves that mist plume in another direction, and then yeah. it comes down, and you like you're you know standing in a mild rainstorm. Yeah, it's uh it's really interesting how that happens. So, uh. It didn't become popular as a tourist destination until like the 19th century, so about about mid mid century, and the um, the main industry there was to to come and and look at the falls and you know have a place to stay and you know kind of spend time doing things like in the winter when it froze over they would let people walk out on the ice. Oh, so does it actually <laughs> does the flow cease? It doesn't cease, but it freezes considerably like where you can you can get like a good shelf i mean obviously they don't do that anymore they don't let you walk on it That's well it would have to be after the falls right 
on the Canada side. On the Canada side yeah. before it goes where, where it would go over. Because the water at that point is flowing under the ice, right? The ice is on the oh, top. It wow. is solid. The water is going under it. So that's why it's like it doesn't stop. It still comes through. Once in a while when a super deep, deep, deep freeze happens. Like remember that year we had the polar vortex? Remember that was all over the place and it was like polar vortex. It's negative 14 degrees in Chicago. And like everybody was talking about how cold it was. Right. There were pictures of frozen Niagara Falls, like truly frozen Niagara Falls all over the Internet wow. when that happened. Because at that point, perceptibly, you couldn't actually see the water still flowing. But usually the ice forms over top and you can see the water coming out from underneath. That's normally That's what happens. Like it's crazy. it's normal to see the falls in a frozen ish state in the winter. Frozen-ish. Yes, because you can always still see water coming through. But when that polar vortex happened, because it it happened for two weeks, if you remember, it was like in the negatives for like two weeks. That's when our pipes froze, the one and only time our pipes ever froze over at Sedgwick. It was like the day after tomorrow. (laughs) It was really, really, really cold. And um, yeah, no, it it basically stopped Niagara Falls because it was so frozen. But anyway, back to the 19th century. How cold was it? (laughs) Um, People used to come to look at at the falls to be able to walk out over top of them, but also to come and see that Tesla station that we were talking about. That was yep. a big deal to see electricity harnessed and then be able to, you know, see a city in the distance lighting up and, you know, and then Niagara itself had, you know, theaters uh, on the Canada side. And then, you know, the American and side has always gambling. been, a, yeah, the American side's always been a state park, um, which is very nice, but yeah, there was definitely, it was a, a very industrialized sort of tourist destination oh and don't forget the ihops <laughs> yes so there are a lot of ihops in canada we don't know i why. don't know why we don't we still can't figure out why don't so understand it there they're like but every, every hotel block, has an ihop there's an ihop yeah they are super into their ihop and it's like okay is it because it's like quick and easy breakfast all day food i like i don't know but um yeah no, oh, you, tell them your story of canadian you, bacon your experience you with canadian bacon <laughs> you can't a rock without hitting an IHOP. Yes. So I did have Eggs Benedict at the IHOP in Canada. And I am here to say that Canadian bacon is not the Canadian bacon that we eat here in America. Say Um, it isn't so. I didn't like it. It tasted like spam and it was flaky. It was really weird. Like at first glance, it looked like a real slice of ham, but it wasn't. It was flaky and pressed together and it tasted like spam. This is our public service announcement. I didn't for like it. Our listeners so who were traveling to Canada. I will only Canada. eat Canadian bacon in America. I will not That's eat right. Canadian bacon. Have in... all the maple syrup you want. The Stay irony the is, bacon. it wasn't even called Canadian bacon. <laughs> well, because you're in Canada, right. they just call it bacon. <laughs> it's just no. It had some other kind of name too. But anyway, it was disappointing. A slice of the ham. Okay, back to the history of Niagara Falls. Please. Thank you. After the First World War, tourism boomed as automobiles made getting to the falls much easier, right? So that's when, you know, before we were kind of like, yeah, there's this thing out here, but who's going to go see it? But as soon as you had a car that could get you there, it was like, come to Niagara Falls. Come and see this wonder of the world. And, and you know, check out hydroelectric power. That's a big a big deal. Come and, come and see what it is. People were really bored back then. You know, I mean, it happens. In 1955, the area between the rocks and Goat Island was filled in, creating Terrapin Point. And in the early 1980s, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers filled in more land and built diversion dams and retaining walls to force the water away from Terrapin Point altogether. Right. So it basically 
edged up about 400 feet of Horseshoe Falls, eliminating them mm. on the Canadian side. And that was to help, again, buffer erosion and to give the Americans more place. Like, did you notice the Ameri- on the American side, you did a lot of hiking, right? You hiked down and you could get right down to the river and you were basically in between the two falls. And that's kind of what you have to do on the American side. It's mm-hmm. a state park. On the Canada side, we're full of botanical gardens and lovely views of of the two falls but as i've mentioned to many people it's las vegas up there it is absolutely las vegas on well, the canada they, side well it's definitely designed as a tourist trap because the canada side is definitely got a way better view like you say and there's so much shopping and industry that's built around that i mean there's so many places that are right there on the edge of the falls that you can say go grab a bite to eat but expect you're going to drop some serious coin granted Canadian dollar is, it's a higher exchange rate, right? A Canadian mm-hmm. dollar is less in American dollars. So you're not spending as much. Mm-hmm. So because of the falls, right, you would think like, hey, here's a river that connects Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. Like how awesome would it be to take boats down here? But obviously we can't because there's this 189 foot drop off that a boat can't go over. So they actually had to build a separate canal to get boats, to get traffic to go through from Lake Erie to to Lake Ontario, Um, which makes me laugh a little bit because I'm like, wow, it's really unfortunate that they had this great river and they couldn't figure out. But then they're like, it's also a wonder of the world. And do we really want to like kibosh Niagara Falls? So the Welland Canal exists and it's about like 30 miles to the west, I guess, depending on which way you're looking at a map. Mm-hmm. Um, but it runs parallel to the Niagara River, basically, is all you need to know. But far enough away that there are locks because it's coming down to a different elevation like you would in the Panama so Canal. So I was going to say, is it like the Panama Canal? Mm-hmm. where? Because I know with the Panama Canal, there's two different elevations. So what mm-hmm. they'll do is they have like a chamber that the boat comes into, and they essentially flood it to raise the level, and then they open up the other chamber to let them into the yep so there are seven locks um as you approach lake ontario uh and most of them are at are closer to lake ontario so they're not like equidistant it's like there's one set of locks when you come in off lake erie then you're pretty much at that elevation and then as you get closer then you start hitting a series there's another seven locks that take you all the way through that you have to go because that's how different i mean think about it 189 feet right (laughs) like that's that's a lot of elevation and you can't just drop a boat 189 feet you could but i mean it may have disastrous effects it might so the last thing i want to talk about is i want to talk about people going over the falls yes that seems to be like the most popular when people think of niagara falls they think of people in barrels going over the falls so what's do you know what's up with the story there no i I really don't like i i honestly the only education i got was from old warner brother cartoons (laughs) so i don't know actual factoids okay well i will tell you factoid me in October of 1829, mm-hmm. Sam Patch, who called himself the Yankee Leapster, jumped from a high tower into the gorge below the falls and survived. 
This began the tradition of daredevils trying to go over the falls. So we can thank Sam Patch. Jerk. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Sam. Thanks, Yankee Leapster. Starting <laughs> the this Yankee craze. Leapster. That was his nickname. Did he, the did Yankee he, Leapster. I'm assuming he coined that name after he went over the falls, right? I mean, I guess. His, the I name mean, is his in quotes. What would you be doing that would earn you that nickname? Sure. Hmm. Englishman Captain Matthew Webb, the first man to swim the English Channel, drown in 1883 trying to swim the rapids downriver from the falls. So this man survived swimming the English Channel and then tried to swim in the Niagara River downriver from the falls, just the rapids, not even the falls themselves, and drown. So this is past the falls? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, downriver I mean, the from waters the are kind of, once they hit, they're kind of mild. I mean, you see seagulls just uh, kind of... That's where we are right there. The river continues on toward Lake Ontario for another 22 miles. Right. So, you know, we weren't down. We didn't follow the river down. We don't know what that is, but this poor guy, he was trying to swim. We should have gone Basically in. from the falls to Lake Ontario is what he was trying to do. Mm. And he did not succeed. And that is sad. In October 24th, uh, on October 24th, 1901... A 63-year-old Michigan school teacher named Annie Edison Taylor became the first person to go over the falls in a barrel as a publicity stunt. Ugh. So thank you, Annie, for 1901. That's still a long time ago. 1901, that's some brave people back in the early 1900s. <laughs> like, I'm going to go over in a barrel. She survived. She was definitely bleeding <laughs> and a bit bruised, but yeah. overall unharmed. Soon after exiting the barrel, she said, no one ought to ever do that again. No. <laughs> I don't understand why anyone would ever do that in the first place. Days before her attempt, she sent over her cat in the falls in her barrel to test its strength. <sighs> the cat survived the plunge unharmed and later posed with Taylor in her photographs. So since her historic ride in 1901... Over a dozen people have intentionally gone over the falls in or on a device, despite her advice. <laughs> right. She did it and was like, don't do that. <laughs> this is not like I am glad to be alive and no one should do that again. Um, some have survived unharmed, but others have drowned or been severely injured. Survivors, though, they face charges and stiff fines because now it is illegal on both sides of the border to Ugh. attempt to go over the falls. Charles Stevens, a 58-year-old barber from Bristol, England, went over the falls in a wooden barrel on July in July of 1920 and was the first person to die in an endeavor of this type. So 20 years after our girl Annie and her barrel went over, this guy went over and not so lucky. Maybe he didn't have the right barrel. Yeah. Well, Bobby Leach went over the Horseshoe Falls in a crude steel barrel in 1911 and needed rescuing. Again, he came to the rescue um, following his failed attempt to swim the Niagara Gorge in 1920. And in 1928, smiling Jean Lucier, I think is how you pronounce it, tried an entirely different concept going over the falls in a large rubber ball. He was successful. That, to me, I think makes sense. A rubber ball? Wouldn't you be afraid of well, bouncing like, around? Well, maybe maybe not a rubber ball, but have you seen those big inflatable balls that you can crawl in the center? 
and just sort of like you, you push almost like a hamster in a wheel and it'll move along mm-hmm. with all that air. It's just it's it's it shouldn't get submerged underwater. It should stay on the surface of the water. So you could go over the falls that way. Yeah, I think that would be kind of cool. I'd be worried about it puncturing. Yeah, now, I mean, landing on jagged rocks does not sound appealing. Do you remember seeing the picture um, and the little plaque when we were going behind the falls and they talked about the only person to ever go over the falls unaided and survive? No. So I there was a plaque there. I read it. I thought I pointed it out to you, but maybe I didn't. So it's called The Miracle at Niagara. And basically it goes like this. On July 9th, 1960, Roger Woodward, a seven-year-old American boy, was swept over the Horseshoe Falls after the boat in which he was cruising in lost power. Mm. Two tourists pulled his 17-year-old sister, Deanne, from the river only 20 feet from the lip of Horseshoe Falls at Goat Island. Like she was about to go over. They got her. And they got her. Minutes later, Woodward was plucked from the rolling plunging pool beneath Horseshoe Falls after grabbing a life ring thrown to him by the crew of the Maid of the Mist. So it was the American Maid of the Mist, that boat that goes right up to the Horseshoe Falls, the blue boat Mm -hmm. on the American side, that got him. However, the children's uncle, Jim Honeycutt, who had been steering the boat, was swept over the edge to his death. Oh, no. Yes. But, I mean, it's a miracle. Seven-year-old boy just sucked straight over the falls and survived. Uh, on July 2nd, 1984, Canadian Carol Sowick from Hamilton, Ontario, plunged over Horseshoe Falls in a barrel with only minor injuries, and she was fined $500 for performing the stunt without a license. So, so folks, if you're going to the falls, don't jump in. Well, this makes it sound like you can get a license. You can get a license to, <laughs> to go jumping to go, right? over the falls. <laughs> so really yeah. quick, though, there's um, when you go to the falls on the Canadian side... Out in front of, it's like um, a shopping area, community space, Mm -hmm. there is a statue with a plaque, a statue of a man, who I believe is an American, and he actually walked on a tightrope. Yes, so that's my next section. So if you're not jumping over the falls in a barrel, or rolling over the falls, I should say, you're not really jumping. If you're not sailing over the falls in a barrel, you're walking across it on a tightrope, apparently, because he was not the only person. He was just the first. So that um, statue that you're referring to is Jean-Francois Boldien Gavillet. I'm probably pronouncing his name terribly wrong. I Excuse my French. Do you have any great poupon? <laughs> he was the first to cross the Niagara Gorge on June 30th, 1859, and did so again eight times that year. He liked it so much, he walked across it eight times. Wow. His most difficult crossing occurred on August 14th when he carried his manager, Harry Colcord, on his back. Oh, no, thank you. His final crossing on September 8th of 1860 was witnessed by the Prince of Wales. Between between 1859 and ni- 1896, a wire-walking craze emerged. Go figure. <laughs> Just like with the barrel. Everyone's like, woo, you can go over in a barrel? I'm going to be one of those people. It's like, oh, that guy went over across on a tightrope 14 times and took his boss over? We can do that. <laughs> let's let's make it happen well and i'm thinking too like you don't see just at niagara but the time period right you see that in a number of other locations like skyscrapers and things anyway so then on 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 august uh 8th of 1864 um 
there was an attempt to walk across uh, on a tightrope and it failed and that person needed to be rescued. They did not die, thank goodness. Um, but they needed to be rescued. And so then they kind of stopped doing that. <laughs> they were sort of like, maybe this is a bad idea and we shouldn't do it. And that was in, as I mentioned, 1864. So it wasn't until June 15th of 2012 where a high wire artist, Nick Walenda, became the first person to walk across the falls area in 116 years, receiving special permission from both the Canadian and the United States government. The full length of his type rope was 1,800 feet, and he crossed near the brink of Horseshoe Falls, unlike walkers who had crossed further downstream. So he was closer to all that mist that we're talking about, and basically he had to carry his passport with him to present it upon arrival on the Canadian side of the falls. He walked across from the American side to the Canadian side. So that's funny. Those are some fun things that I know about Niagara Falls. I highly recommend if you have the time and the energy to drive to take a look at this beautiful wonder of the world that you do. It is very cool. It's only six and a half hours away. <laughs> Niagara Falls. That's 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 what I got today. Well, thanks for sharing. That's yeah, it's a really cool topic, and I'm really glad that we went. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. I would definitely go back. All right. So what's up next? Well, uh, stick around here because we're going to be joined by a good friend of mine, Mr. Eric Kramer, for our segment, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? So stick around. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back for... Our favorite segment of the afternoon, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And today, we are joined by none other than Mr. Eric Kramer. Welcome, Eric, to the show. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. And Eric, just so everyone knows, spells his name with a K, not a C. We still love him, though. (laughs) We will not hold that against you. It's good. It means we're not in... Conflict. Yeah, go. that's right. That's right. I'm Eric with a C. Eric with yeah, a there's room. There's room for one of each of us. That's right. But maybe we have room for a CK also. But oh, that's, that's just getting we'll crazy. Oh my gosh. I think there's some CHs Dial out there. Also. There are CHs. I've seen them. <laughs> yes. I don't indeed. trust them, but I've seen them. <laughs> All right. So I know you a little bit personally, but for our listeners out there who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, Eric. All right. So um, grew up in Bucks County. So. Philly has always been a near city to me. Uh, I'd say first kind of got into music via the Philadelphia Clef Club, especially which is a historic jazz institution here that I was lucky to be introduced to at a young age and I think kind of informed a lot of the way I play. And um, yeah, you know, spent some time up in Boston, New York City, playing a lot of music, touring with different groups and relocated to Philadelphia uh, probably like 2017 and became a Germantown resident February 2020. Um, Congratulations. Bought the house with a friend a, about like a week or two before lockdown happened. So oh, wow. It was, wow. Couldn't, couldn't have been better timing. I'm telling you. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, you know, play play with a lot of songwriters around the city. I really enjoy like uh, The Lunar Year, To Be Frank, Just Mad Nice, Taylor Kelly, Reese Florence, and then uh, do some touring with uprooted which is the current version of rusted root so kind of and uh, you know got a tour coming up with minka as well who's another philly band so i try and try and keep my toes in many pots in addition to writing my own music and and um 
kind of sharing that in a bunch of different contexts. But uh, yeah, it's really cool. So you're a little all over the place. So is is music kind of like your your full time jam? Music is the full time jam. Also education. When I first moved to Philly, I got involved in a lot of. I taught over at the Clef Club at a Center for Creative Works. Um, which is a program for adults with intellectual learning disabilities. I kind of ran a studio program over there. Oh, really? Um, helped helped with that. And then also was teaching private lessons, was teaching an after-school program over in Camden. And I've kind of, a lot of that work dis- dissipated, and a lot of music work has kind of slid in its place over the years of being here. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. So t- t- just considering the past two years, you know, we've had a lot of guests who've come on here and everyone has a, a little blurb to say about the past two years. So how has that treated you as far as, you know, music? Cause there was a period where folks weren't active. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely in relation to the unemployment money that was being gotten, but I feel like it kind of like cleared the palette in, in a sort of way I hadn't experienced in years where I could really full-time focus on investing in some of those ways to, get money via via music whether it be was doing a lot of remote recording for people over the internet um and then once touring kind of kicked back up um there was a lot of close calls you know of things stopping and starting and um but yeah for for whatever reason it allowed me to kind of clear some some things that weren't serving me as well and kind of make make space for some new collaborations and I feel like a lot of the projects I'm currently focused on are things that started over that period of time for whatever reason I guess a lot of people just had more time than they were used to to invest in creative endeavors and uh yeah it's also given me a lot of time to work on my home studio at my house when I lived in West Philly we threw a lot of shows probably you know at least 40 40 shows over the course of our few years there so I'm hoping to kind of have a little bit of a Germantown place where people can come and collaborate together record music eat food make art definitely i'm there we kind of have a a concept kind of called like office hours so as opposed to the one piece i didn't love as much about throwing shows was just the the commerce aspect of it and who wants to stand at the door asking people for money and and yeah just making sure like everything ran in a more traditional way where i'm definitely more inspired by things that kind of invite in a community to all partake in something together as opposed to like a group of people just observing something that someone else is doing yeah, and give me cash. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm that. I'm all about. I've even just throughout Germantown since being here, I've done all sorts of bartering with people and just kind of showing up for each other in different ways. So I, that's I hope very to, cool. Hope to use my my space as a resource for that. So I um I want to kind of go backwards for a second, and I want to know where you got your start. I see a guitar here. Um, so obviously you're a guitar player. This is actually a bass. Oh, I'm sorry. It it's a, I didn't even notice. <laughs> it's a four-string guitar. I, yes, yeah. sorry. That's how blurry my eyes are. <laughs> I need to glasses. Um, okay, so, but stringed instrument. Have you always, um, like, how did you How did you start? How did yeah. music start? Well, I feel like I got you? into it in this sort of classic way where your parents encourage you. Mm-hmm. Both of my parents are visual artists, so I think they really wanted me to have creative outlets. I first started with the trumpet in elementary school, got braces. It wasn't working out. (laughs) Um, But that was like, that felt more like an activity I was doing at school, a little less like I didn't necessarily have the reason for doing it yet. And then I picked up a guitar, maybe in like fifth or sixth grade. And at the time I was listening to a lot of like Blink-182, Green Day, Mm -hmm. you know, that Mm -hmm. whole kind of pop punk era. 
and it became like something I couldn't put down. I just wanted to like learn all the songs I was listening to. And yeah, I think that was the first thing that gave me a spark. Um, and then in middle school, uh, there was a better guitar player than me in the school. So they were just like, you're oh, tall. No. Do you want to play the upright bass and orchestra uh-huh. that kind of turned into me playing bass and jazz band. So like it started with guitar and I, I mean, when I'm at home, I play a lot more guitar than bass, but the bass is definitely the instrument I can like communicate the best on. Um, but I play a lot of, a lot of other kind of similar instruments lately. I've just gotten the opportunity to start playing drums in bands, Mm. which has been really special for me. I think every musician wants to be a drummer, no matter who you are. It's like, you don't, you don't get the girl, but it's still really cool. It's it's fun to hit, to hit on things. And like, and also being a bass player, that's like, that's who I'm like the most locked locked in in. with. So it's like, definitely rhythm. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like I have a really good sense of what I like from the position. So it's been really cool to do that. And, um, just was playing some some lap steel guitar with some other friends and uh, nice. and yeah I play a little banjo mandolin like pretty much anything anything with strings some piano I try I try my best to kind of like lift all of them up a little bit while I'm coming along because they're all such cool ways to express and write music on like a really nice upright grand piano in my house and I just That's not sweet. not like a grand piano but you know the, the no, really no. tall yeah, ones yeah yep. so it's like yeah it's um. I have some songbooks there and it's just I really like sitting down and just pushing the boundary of where I feel comfortable on a regular basis and kind that's of great. Yeah. Well, as, and also as a home producer, it's like the more instruments you can play, um, the cooler stuff you can do on your own. I found when making records, I do really like to utilize the network I'm surrounded by because you know, you never know how long all the people you collaborate with are going to be there. So I definitely believe in like, yep. I put the work in on my instrument, the bass. I haven't put that work in on other instruments, so it's cool to utilize the people around you to to help out with that. Yeah, and but especially it's also, yeah, it's also yeah, cool. it's like you're recording too. <laughs> spotlight people, yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. Yeah, and yeah, the more people involved, the more the more branches you have out in different directions. Right. But it is really cool to be able to demo out and be able to play all the instruments myself and exercise that way. So, uh, tell us about the song we're gonna hear. Uh, this song will be on the next record it's called little seed and uh it's about just kind of hindsight and seeing like often when you look back and try and trace back why you're sitting in the room you are right now it's just like one random decision made five years ago that led to another thing and just how yeah how easy it is to not see how yeah just like how growth occurs over the course of time so. sounds like the butterfly effect a yeah, yeah yeah it's 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 yeah i feel like it kind of lives in that general world cool um, well what's the name of the song little seed little seed all right everyone eric kramer and little seed all right plant a garden it started with a little seed he started with a little seed it started with a little seed 
always 2020. As simple as it may seem, if I knew the road that lay before me, I'd watch out for that falling tree. I'd watch out for that falling tree. But I know the road eroding on, I can't be wrong. So I waited for a sign to lead me on. But if everything I do leads me back to the zoo, I'm in surroundings I'd fade into the ancient sound I'd fade into that ancient sound But I know the road eroding on I can't be wrong So I waited for sign to lead me on but if everything I do leads me back to the zoo I'm an animal on the run from everything I've become to do to you Always lead us 
palms fill us up with poison. Beautiful. That was great. I really felt that. <laughs> I was like, oh, those lyrics are nice, and they hit home. So we've been blessed to have a few in-studio performances, yours being a few, part of that few, and they're always really nice because, I mean, it's intimate space, and it just translates so much more than, I mean, playing a track is great, but it's, for us personally, it's nice to have the in-studio yeah, performance. People can also go and listen to the tracks. They're, you know, they're always going to be out there. So that segues into... Uh, where do we uh, find you? How do we see you out? How do we listen yeah. to you online? So if you, on Instagram, my tag is Remarkire, which is sort of like my name backwards, R-E-M-A-R-K-I-R-E. And that's definitely where I post the most about who I'm playing with locally, um, what venues. Um, as far as listening to music, um, I'm... I have an album out under my name, Eric Kramer, entitled Miss the Boat. That's on all your streaming platforms. Um, and yeah, that's a big orchestrated operation with horns and strings. Nice. Oh, wow. And, uh, we'll check that yeah, out. Yeah, definitely a lot of, a lot of vibes. Um, and I put out a record with Rose Meat, which was me and my, uh, my friend Melina, that we put out a few years ago entitled Animal Drama. The band's called, the project's called, called Rose, Rose Meat. R O S E M E A T. Nice. Yeah, one word. Um, yeah, I have a music page on Facebook under my name, E R I K K R A M E R, as I said before. Um, it's probably all the all the socials I'm on. I, okay. um, Are you playing live anywhere soon? Yeah. I mean, um, I have to double check, but I believe I'm playing a show with my project on. September 25th at Ort Leaves. Um, oh, nice. Downtown. Yeah, and then um, I'll be playing with lots of other groups before then, playing with the band Darlington this weekend, but it's in Virginia and West Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you're, you're traveling a bit for a lot of the gigs that you're doing. Yeah, definitely a decent bit of traveling, but I, I play around Philly a lot, definitely frequent all the, all the local venues. Playing a show October 15th as part of philly music fest with uh just mad nice which will be a, a cool show um and yeah just just got done a long stretch of them this was just on tour with the, the lunar year who's a band who lives over in roxborough and we just got back and did our homecoming show for that at the ukrainian club on the second oh neat just, yeah just played uh my friend rachel andy at johnny brenda's a few a few days ago on the third so yeah, just fin finishing up a long. You do stretch get around, and, yeah. yeah. This, this yeah. is this is my yeah, a little bit my month of uh, laying a little a right. little bit lower. So well, thank you for taking the time to be with us oh, tonight and playing that beautiful song. I love it. Yeah, thanks yeah. For thanks for coming me. over, Eric. My pleasure. Okay. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in today. It's been great. We've had such a good show and thank you for joining us. If you've got thoughts or ideas about something we should feature or a musician you think we should get on here, please send us an email at what do you know gtown at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at what do you know about that. Have a great evening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>